I can't think of anything better to uh, encourage moms, but also all of us to be, than to be uh, fire keepers. And that's what our lesson uh, we started last week. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're looking at the two of the most famous prayers that Elijah prayed, and perhaps two of the most famous prayers in all of the Old Testament. His prayer for fire to fall on Mount Carmel, and his prayer for rain to fall to the earth right after he prayed for the fire. And so we saw last week that uh, the reason he was able to sing that song, I've seen fire and I've seen rain, there on Mount Carmel was because he was a fire keeper. And we used Leland Riken's metaphor of a fire keeper. Uh, the Indians in the northwest, the Iroquois, they had a long house, and in that long house is where community life and family life took place, but also in that long house was a fire that had to be kept burning. And so when the rest of the tribes and the rest of the people went out to play and to hunt and to go to war, there was the fire keeper. The fire keeper would stay back to make sure that the home fires were burning. And that's really what we've seen Elijah do. Israel went off and fell away from the faith. Israel went off after other gods. And Elijah stayed home and blew the fans fan the flames of faith to keep the true faith alive. And while 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah tried to stamp out the true faith in Israel, Elijah was there as a fire keeper making sure that they could not extinguish the faith. And so when we ask, how did Elijah do it? He was a fire keeper through intercessory prayer. And so you see in your notes, how do fire keepers fan the flame of faith? Fire keepers practice the spiritual skill of intercession. So we're learning how to pray, but how to pray for others. And moms, there's no greater role you can fulfill than to bring the names of your kids before God in prayer. In fact, we just completed another session of Perspectives. And again, I was humbled and amazed how the history of missions, the history of the church, history, is littered with the results of praying mothers behind these great missionaries, behind these great movements. And so, never downplay the role of intercessory prayer. And we know from James 5, 16 through 18, I have it there in your notes, that this was what was Elijah stood out. Not, the, not all the great miracles, raising the dead even. That's not what's mentioned. Because if you remember, when he, rose, when he was able to raise the dead, it was because he prayed first. It's because God answers prayer. And so, remember too, if you're intimidated by this lesson, it, many Christians intimidated by prayer, and yet you saw in the video that it, it's simple, if we keep it simple. But that's alright if you're intimidated, because prayer is a spiritual skill that has to be caught and taught. You need to listen to good prayers. And they're not the Shakespeare guy. 
And they're not the, you know, it's not the elaborate. Listen to people. You know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, when people can get a hold of God in prayer, you listen and you learn how to pray. So we're listening in on Elijah. And we're listening to his prayers, and he's teaching us seven principles of prayer. And last week we saw the first one, and it was this. Fires keep, fire keepers keep the faith burning by intercessory prayer. Fire keepers intercede on the basis of the blood of Christ. The basis of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we saw that in chapter 18. If you look at verses 30 through 35, I'm not going to reteach that. In fact, I gave you the notes of what I taught last week that wasn't in your notes. So now you get all of it. But he spent a lot of time preparing the sacrifice. Why? Because whatever he was going to say was going to be on the basis of blood. Blood before blessing. That's the point. And here's the idea. The idea is that the people needed to get right with God before they could get any rain from God. We have to have a right relationship with God in order to ask Him for anything. And that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I've got your notes there. This is what we went over last week. God provided the heavenly fire. Only God can atone for our sins. And He did that ultimately through Jesus Christ. God provided a consuming fire. His wrath must be satisfied. Every sin must be atoned for. And all of that ferocious fire that burned up everything pictures how Christ satisfied God's wrath on the cross, how He took away, John the Baptist said, forerunner of, or, uh, uh, in the spirit of Elijah, took away the sins of the world. And then, number three, He accepted a temporary substitute. This, this animal wasn't sufficient. It was a picture towards Christ's coming. And so here's the point. Intercede on the basis of Christ's blood. And for each of these points, we have a, a point and an application. And the application last week was maybe we should start by praying in Jesus' name instead of ending and trailing off and using in Jesus' name as a go-to sign. It's your turn to pray as a trailing away, as a mumbling under our breath, and instead begin in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I come to you knowing my sins are forgiven. So that was the first point. The second point that we got to was this. Fire keepers intercede in the revealed name of the Lord. And we saw again how in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, again and again, it was an issue of the name of Baal in the name of Yahweh. And the name means the character of Baal. And the name here means the character of Yahweh. And we saw how different these gods were. Because your understanding of God is reflected in how you worship. And how you worship reflects your understanding of God. And so, when the prophets of Baal are yelling and screaming, and, and today people count beads, and they, they ritualize. In fact, on the radio, where were we, Gwen? We were going somewhere, and uh, we were listening to uh, a, a major world religion radio station. And they were going through the, uh, their prayer. I mean, I mean, we listened probably for 20 minutes as they repeated Hail Mary's. And the Lord's Prayer. 
I mean, and, and she, he go, she go, Gwen's like, well, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to listen until they stop. And, but I couldn't. They just kept on. For a half hour, they're just going through this, repeating. And they, the leader, the, the nun would say, and then the, the congregation would... Meaningless. Repetition is what our Lord called that, right? Last week, Sermon on the Mount. And so, here, here, I, I gave you, uh, it was good. Last week you saw how prayer in the Old Testament is matched by prayer in the New Testament. Did you see that? We went right upstairs, saw the same principles. And yet, they're fuller because Jesus has now come. Okay, so here you go. Here, here's how you pray in the name. Because remember, we baptize in the name of the Lord, singular, baptizing you in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God's name is one. His nature is one. But His name, He has is three persons in one. Well, in the same way you're baptized in the name, we should be praying in the name of the Lord. And here's how we pray as New Covenant believers. Jesus taught us to pray. So we pray to our Heavenly Father. We pray to our Heavenly Father. And Jesus taught us that. Our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. That's the goodness of God. Isn't it great that this God who is so great is so good as to be our Father and allow us to address Him as a child? Number two, we pray in the name and the character of the Son. We pray in His name on the basis of what He has done for us. And we see that in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done of course, Jesus hasn't risen yet. Now He has. We know that He is ascended, sitting at the right hand of the Father. The kingdom is His. And so we see the greatness of the Son. So you pray to the Father. You pray in the name of the Son. And three, you pray by the Holy Spirit. You pray by the Holy Spirit. And in the middle of the Lord's Prayer that we learned about last week upstairs... Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Do not lead us into temptation. You can't have that except by the Spirit. It's the Spirit who enables us to ask these things. And that is the grace of God in prayer. And then finally, we pray for the fame of His name. We pray for the fame of His name. And in the Lord's Prayer, that last part, and yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, that's not in your original Bibles. That wasn't in the inspired text. Instead, the church couldn't help but pray the Lord's Prayer and then glorify God. And as they did that, they did it so much that it started to be added. Now, we know it's added, so the Bible's integrity isn't all messed up, but it's just a reminder to you that when you pray on the basis of blood sacrifice, when you pray in the name of the Lord, you can't help but glorify Him. Amen? So if your prayers are boring, and boring you to death, and dull and monotonous, I would encourage you to review these first two points. Pray on the basis of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ and pray in the name of the Lord. Follow the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer. I don't care what you call the prayer. Matthew 6, follow that pattern and pray to the Father in the name of the Son and by the Spirit. So here's the point. The point is, we have the privilege of praying in the name of the triune God. So try it out. And so I ask you, whose name do you pray in? And how do you address God in prayer? So think about it. 
And if you're saying, you know what, I don't know, I'm praying, so I'm not thinking about it. Ask the person who prays, listens to you pray the most. And ask them how you could improve your prayer life. They will have suggestions. And I'm not talking about mean suggestions. I'm just saying they hear you when you do meaningless repetition. They know how you always address. They know the patterns that you have sunk into. And some patterns aren't bad. We realize that. But you need to be thinking about the patterns. So if prayer has become mechanical, then it's no longer prayer. It's ritual. Okay? And so... Think about that. So let's move on. This all leads very naturally into the third principle, and it's this. Firekeepers intercede to spread the fame of God's name. So they pray in the name of the Lord, but we intercede to spread the fame of His name. And we see this in uh, Elijah's prayer in verses 36 and 37. So look there in your Bibles, 1 Kings. Chapter 18, look at verses 36 and 37, and notice what it says. Then it came about, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near, he's coming near to God, in prayer, and he says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So there he is. He's prepared the sacrifice. He's praying on the basis of blood atonement. Now he's praying in the name of the Lord, But look at what he says. Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Verse 37. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know. So here we have. Let it be known now this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. So notice, there's a twofold praying for God to be known. So in the first prayer, in verse 36, he wants it to be prayed, let it be known to everyone here, both the Israelites and the false prophets, everyone, unbeliever and believer, let the world know who the real God is. So when we pray for the fame of His name to be spread... We should have a desire to pray for all peoples to know. That's missions. Your prayer life should have a prayer that all peoples. And of course, here at LifeBridge, we help you with that every week. We have a global partner. You can go to our website and go under Go Global, and you can see our partners, you can learn about our partners, you can follow us on social media and get updates from our partners, but we should be praying, Lord, may the fame of your name be spread to all the peoples. That's missions. But in verse 37, he prays that this people, referring to Israelites, this people who are in covenant relationship with you, we pray that they may know that you are Lord and that you have turned their hearts back again. So now he's praying for a wayward, apostate people who are in covenant relationship. Do you know anybody that's a prodigal? Do you know anybody that's wayward? You should be praying for them. And you keep praying. We'll talk more about that. But you pray for them. So here we see a prayer for discipleship and evangelism. 
May these people who profess you know you and grow in that. That's discipleship. May they know that you have turned their hearts back. He's praying as if it's already happened. Turn their hearts back. That's evangelism. And so we see in 36 and 37, when you pray for the spread of the fame of His name, you're praying in terms of evangelism, lost people need to get saved, discipleship, saved people need to live like it and reflect it, and third, people in other cultures, in other countries, far away that I may never meet, who do not even know the name of Jesus. They need to know you. And so I pray for that. And so the goal of all this is really for the spread of the kingdom. So think again. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on what? On earth, see, the spread of the kingdom. And so what's going on here is we, we should be practicing kingdom prayer. And what is kingdom prayer? Kingdom prayer is that when you pray, Lord, may your rule extend farther and deeper in the hearts of people. That's what we should be praying. God, may your authority... May your glory, may your holiness rule deeper, farther, and wider than it is right now. This is what we should be praying. So here's the point. We need to expand our prayers to include kingdom prayer for the extension. And so here's the principle, and this is in your notes. We spend too little of our time in kingdom prayer and too much time in emergency prayer. You got the two ideas there? We spend too much time, the keeper of the spring is not here, and therefore my markers are not here. The, uh, the kingdom prayer is farther, wider, and it's God-centered, and it's other-centered. Emergency prayer is centered on who? Us. Emergency prayer is what's happening right now. It's the urgent. Lord, get me through this day. Lord, straighten out my kid. Lord... Straighten out my spouse. Too often we're not praying, Lord, straighten me out. But even that can be an emergency prayer. Right? Are you with me? So how much of your prayer time is consumed with emergency prayer that is me-centered and, and centered on my people and my world versus kingdom prayer that's saying, Lord, I may pray for the... And by the way, it's okay to pray for those things... Do you hear me? Let me be loud and clear. It's okay to pray for those things. But if that's all you pray for, and you're not praying for those things in terms of the kingdom of God and the glory of God, then they are selfish prayers. Are you with me? So, if you're praying for those things, and you're not bringing God's glory into it, then you're really saying, God, make my life better. Meet my expectations. Fulfill my needs. My, 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 my. And that's not what the Father's about. He's about bigger things for you. He's about His glory because He knows His glory is for your good. And so that's the idea there. And so what's the application of this? Well, first of all, let me show you. You have a couple quotes there. F.B. Meyer says this, Whenever we so lose ourselves in prayer 
as to forget personal interest and plead for the glory of God, we have reached a vantage ground from which we can win anything from Him. And Jesus verified that. Listen to Jesus in John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So, don't separate that verse. If you just look at the last part of that verse, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Is that what you mean by praying in the name? No, you've got to look at the previous. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So this isn't a blanket thing Jesus is saying. Look, add Jesus' name to it, name it, claim it, and you get it. Instead, what he's saying is, when you pray for my glory, what is for my glory is what I do. And so you're going to get what you want when it's for my glory. So here's the application. How much of your prayer time is spent in emergency prayer versus kingdom prayer? How much of your time? And I'll tell you, the thing that helps me with this is following the Lord's pattern in prayer. I rarely even get to the second half of the Lord's prayer, which is the emergency prayer. Daily bread, forgiveness, and uh, 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 lead me not into temptation. I rarely get there because I've spent so much time in the first part that Jesus said to focus on. Lord, oh, I just, I spend time. Lord, thank you that you're my Father. Oh, thank you, Lord, for that goodness. Thank you, Lord. Help me to better understand that. Help me not to come to you as a faraway God, but as as my caring Father. Holy be your name. Oh, Lord. I need to know your attributes so much better. Oh, I, I I, I need to be more in awe of who you are. Your kingdom come. Oh, Lord, there's so much that you need to rule over in my life, in my family's life, in in the lives of the people I minister to, in the the things I see, and the things that are going on. See, if if you'll follow the Lord's Prayer, you'll go, you'll you'll pray these principles if you'll follow that pattern. And And then, here's the thing. It's not that I don't pray the rest of the Lord's Prayer. I'm just saying, I often spend most of my time there, and maybe all of my time there, but when I get to the other part, I'm so transformed and so God-centered in what I'm praying. Now my daily bread, my, my needs are different that I'm asking for. And I'm asking for more sins to be forgiven because I have a greater awareness of them because I've spent more time thinking about Him. Okay? And I realize how weak and desperate I need to not be led into temptation. So, there you go. Now, This leads us to a fourth principle, and it's this. Firekeepers intercede for the vindication of the gospel. Firekeepers intercede for the vindication of the gospel. And vindication, here's how I would define vindication. Vindication is proving that something is what they really are. Proving to be true. Proving to be what... It really is. So we should be praying that the gospel is proven to be what it really is. And what does gospel mean? What is it? What's it mean? It means good news. So what are we really praying here? We're praying that the gospel will be proven to be what it really is, good news. Are you with me? Now you say, where's Elijah doing that? Well, look at verse 36 again. Look at verse 36. So he says, O Lord... 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, again, praying on the basis of blood sacrifice, praying in the name of the Lord, today, let it be known that you are God in Israel. Now, there is praying for the spread of his fame. But notice, he's very specific, that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. He's praying for vindication of him as the mediator, and of his message, and, and, and as his messenger. Okay, so he's asking for the vindication as a mediator of a message that he is the messenger of. That's the idea. Now you're like, okay, I, I have no clue what you're talking about, how to pray that way. Well, let's, let's keep going. Listen, he's asking for the, for the good news that the mediator of the gospel, the message of the gospel, and the messengers of the gospel would be proven to be true. So here's, what, what, here's, here's the point. The point is this. We should be praying that the, the teaching and the preaching of our church would be proven to be true and consistent with God and with His Word. We should be praying... That the preaching and the teaching, and I'm not just talking about us as pastors. I'm talking about in the children's ministry. I'm talking about in the youth ministry. I'm talking about Wednesdays on Awana. That everything that's taught and preached at this church would be proven to be gospel true and would bear gospel fruit. That God would be glorified, lives would be changed, and it would be true. The gospel is good news that can change lives. We should be praying that way. Does that help? Okay. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. The bottom line is this. Often, when it comes to the preaching ministry of the church, you get what you pray for. You want the preaching to improve? Pray that the preaching would improve. In other words, if you want God to be magnified more, then pray that God would be magnified through the messengers and in their message. The great London preacher... Charles Spurgeon, was asked why he had such a successful preaching ministry. And when people would ask this, this guy preached to thousands. He was the most popular, and he's still probably the most published preacher in the history of the church in general. Definitely the English-speaking world. And here's what his answer was. He would take guests down to the basement of his church where hundreds of the members of the church would gather before Sunday services to pray that the Word of God would be vindicated among them. Behind every faithful preacher, there is a praying congregation. So literally underneath his pulpit, there was this furnace room, and the deacons and the leaders and the people of the church would be praying that the preaching above their heads would be vindicated. But we also pray not just for preachers and teachers. Look at Colossians. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. And let's look at verses 2 through 6. I'm going to run over here and get my, my water. So Colossians 4, and let's look at 2 through 6 and realize this. We should be praying for the gospel to be vindicated, not just through the preaching that happens when we're gathered, but also the preaching that happens when we're scattered, when you share the gospel. So look at Colossians chapter 4 
And let's look at verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves. Dedicate yourselves is the idea. Commit yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in it. Okay, not sleeping like the guy in the video. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us, this is Paul speaking, as well, that God will open to us a door for the Word. See, the message needs to get out. So that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned. So the guy's in prison, and he's still praying that the gospel will be vindicated. He's still praying. And then verse 4, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So he's praying for opportunity. He's praying for an open mouth. He's praying for an open door. But look at verse 5. Conduct yourselves. Now he's talking to just the average Christian. Not an apostle. Not a martyr. Not in jail for, for the gospel ministry. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. That's praying for the vindication of the gospel. Lord, give me open doors. Give me an open mouth. Give me an open heart to hear the needs of people. Give them an open heart that they may hear the gospel. Does that make sense? That's praying for the... That's praying, Lord, let your word be proven true. But turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Preparing this lesson and thinking through, okay, now what's this really look like? Okay, I see what it looks like for Elijah, but I'm not Elijah. What's this look like for us? as a New Testament church and New Testament believers. And I believe 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4, 4 through 10. So here's what I would suggest to you. Take this passage and pray it for our church. Take this passage and pray it for yourself. Take this passage and pray it. Now notice, here he says, verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. So right there, you can pray, God, I'm thankful that you have chosen me and you have saved me through the hearing of the gospel. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So right there, pray that the message would be preached with power in the Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you. Now he's saying... Pray for the vindication of the messenger. We need preachers, teachers, Christians that have integrity. Most Christians aren't witnessing because most Christians aren't living for the Lord. And those that aren't living for the Lord, please stop witnessing. Because it's ineffective. Instead, live for the Lord. I didn't say be perfect for the Lord. I said live for the Lord. And then speak for the Lord. You also became imitators of us in the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy. There's some more vindication. Lord, may we receive your word with joy and live it out even if it means suffering. I'm telling you, the biggest challenge as a pastor in helping the people of God 
is helping them understand that we obey even when it hurts. We live it out even when it's painful. And we live it out even when we're in deep, dark pits of depression. We seek to live it out. Now, believe me, that's not going to happen apart from praying for people. So, you know, we're not like berating depressed people. That's not the point. But the point is, you got to prepare your mind and realize, I just don't obey up here on the mountaintops. I, pay, I, I obey with joy and in suffering down here in the valleys so that you may become an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now look at verse 8. For the word of the Lord is sounded forth from you. Again, more vindication. Lord, may the gospel sound forth from our people, not just when you listen on Sunday, but during the week. Not only in Macedonia, Achaia, but in every place, your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception. So we've heard what kind of messengers. Now, what kind of listeners? How you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That sounds like Elijah. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. That's perseverance. Drop down to chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. Here's something to pray. Chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that you, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, of Bruce or Chris or whatever teacher you're listening to, but for what it really is. It's the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So listen, if you have received the message, then the message works in you and through you. This isn't just being hearers of the Word and not doing, not being doers of it. So here's the application. How much of your prayer time is spent interceding? And I wrote these out. Because this is, this is something we don't think about a lot. So I'm spending time here. The gospel mediator. Who's the gospel mediator? Jesus Christ. One mediator between God and man. We should be praying that the gospel mediator would be proven for who he really is. And who is he? Truly God, truly man. Lord, may people see you. Not for what they think you are. But for what you really are. Are you, are you with me? Not for who the others say you are. But who you say you are, the I am God, you are Yahweh. Second, the gospel message would be proven to be what it really is. And what does the Bible say? Well, we just read 1 Thessalonians 2.13. The gospel is the word of God, not of men. And Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, may your gospel be proven to be what it really is. And then finally, the gospel messengers our pastors, our teachers, just one another as we teach one another would be proven to be what we really are. And what should that be? Men and women of integrity who are merely beggars sharing and showing other beggars, here's where I found the bread. You can get the bread too. Isn't that good? This is what fire keepers do. They intercede for the vindication of the gospel. And that leads to number five. Here's principle number five. Firekeepers intercede for heart conversion. For heart 
conversion or life transformation. Look at verse uh, 36 again. At the end of verse, or I'm sorry, verse 37. At the end of verse 37, what he's praying for is this. Pray that they may know that you have turned their heart back again. Heart conversion. Heart repentance. Life transformation. And notice he says, verse 37, Answer me, O Lord! Answer me! Why is he repeating that? Is that meaningless repetition? No. In Scripture, when things are repeated twice like that, it means an earnest, an earnestness, a sincerity, and a passion. Lord, I really want to see lives changed. Answer me. i got to have it. I want to see it, Lord. And only you can do it. Answer me. Answer me. Because this is what I'm praying for. Heart conversion. You see, the whole rain thing was not about rain. It was about repentance. It was about heart conversion. It was about turning hearts back. Are you with me? You can rain all you want. And it did rain. Because a God is gracious. But guess what? It rained... And the people's hearts were only turned temporarily. And that meant there was going to be something coming down the road that was more than a drought. There was going to be exile. There was going to be great suffering. There was going to be great judgment. And it gets really bleak. But I want to show you two things. First, I want you to see Elijah's passion and prayer for the fire to fall. He had a passion for forgiveness. That's what I've just gone over. Answer me. Answer me. That's passion. He had a passion in prayer because he had a passion for forgiveness. God turned these hearts back. So here's, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about not just being a fire keeper in your prayers. I want you to be thinking about praying, Lord, help me be a fire starter in the hearts of others. Help me to bring others to repentance. Help me to offer others a message of forgiveness. Help me to be a fire starter. Then I want you to see the posture in prayer. A posture in, a posture in prayer for the rain to come. This is a posture of, forgive, of, of repentance. A posture of repentance. Drop down to verse 42. He's no longer praying for fire. That's been answered. Now he's praying for rain. But notice his posture in prayer. Look at verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. Now, more than likely what he's doing is what Middle Eastern people do. They crouch, and they squat, and they can do this for a long time. You go in Africa and preach the God. I've heard missionaries talk about showing the, missionary, uh, the uh, Jesus film. And the whole tribe just comes and squats and watches for three, you know, three hours. I mean, I couldn't do that, right? Man, I'm just hurting right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so here's what he did. So he, he's knelt down and he's got his face. He, he's, just, he's just down. He is hunkered down. And notice in this prayer, not a word is recorded. Because he's just in this posture of prayer, this posture of repentance, and he knows 
that what he is asking is for great grace from a great God. And so that's his posture. One of brokenness and repentance. And you've never really prayed until you've had that kind of posture. Not necessarily uh, squatting, but broken where you're flat on the floor. Face down or sometimes just laying, looking up and saying, God, you know, you, you have leveled me. Or this situation, I'm okay, but this situation has broken me. So here's the point. Fire keepers agonize in prayer to see heart conversions. So here's the application. Are you praying for that? I mean, the application is just, is, do you pray that way? Do you care enough about your lost co-workers to pray for them? Do you care enough to agonize for them? Do you care enough to weep and be broken for them? I will confess, many times I am not. You say, well, how can I get to that point? Pray. 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 Number six, fire keepers intercede by praying within the promises of God. Praying within the promises of God. I like that. Praying within the promises. What's that mean? That means simply this. Elijah never prays for anything unless God has already promised it. And we've gone through this. I'm not going to take the time. Every time he prays, he prays on the basis of God promising. He's not winging it. The reason we don't know what to pray for is because we're not in this book enough. You've got to be in this book. And if you're in this book, there's more enough to pray about. You pray Scripture back to God. So here's the question. Now, here's the question. Why pray if you know God's already promised to do something? There's a big question of prayer. Is God sovereign? Yeah. Well, is what God promises going to happen? Yes. Why should I pray? Let me give you four answers to that. Four answers. Here you go. Why pray if God has already predestined, predicted, promised that His purpose will happen? Number one. Because God has also predestined, predicted, and promised to use the means of prayer to fulfill His purposes. You say that's circular reasoning. That's okay. It's Bible reasoning. God's going to do it, but God's going to do it through prayer. Therefore, I pray, I pray, and God does it. You say, well, what if I don't pray? Will God not do it? No, He'll do it through someone else who's praying. And you miss out on the blessing. All I'm saying here is, Elijah knew what God was going to do, and Elijah prayed it. And the greatest example of this is Daniel. Daniel reads the prophecy of Jeremiah that in 70 years the people will be exiled. One prophet reading another prophet, and he doesn't go, oh, God's got sovereignty, he's got this, I won't do anything. No, he prayed that God would deliver the people. I, th I find that one of the most fascinating. Daniel 9, read it sometime. Number two. Why should we pray anyway? Because God delights to partner with His people in prayer. Because God delights to... He, he, he wants to not only use you, but partner with you. Number three, why pray anyway? Because God's promises teach us what to be praying about. 
So if you're like, I just don't know what to pray, or I'm always praying the same things, pray God's promises. That's what He wants you to be praying for. And then number four, because God's commanded us to pray. It's really just that simple. Don't get lost in the philosophy. Don't get lost in the what-ifs and the whys. Instead, a sovereign God is going to do what He's going to do, but a sovereign God has also said, pray. So let's pray. And you say, how pray do we? How long do we pray? Number seven, firekeepers intercede with perseverance to ignite others. They intercede with perseverance. One of the most amazing things in verses 42 and 43 is Elijah, God promised to send rain. God told him that he was going to send rain. Elijah is agonizing in prayer for rain, and it takes seven times. He tells his servant, go up. Do you see any rain? No, Elijah, no rain. And Elijah's like this. Go again. And he runs up. And he looks. Do you see any rain? No, no rain. Do you see it? No, I don't. See it? No, I don't. Seven times. Number of completion. How long do you pray? Until God answers. If you're praying for what God has promised. Are you with me? Some of you need to scratch some things off your prayer list because it isn't God's will. And it's not something that He's promised. And it's just your will. Quit praying for that. Get in the Scripture. Pray God's will be done on earth and in your own heart, in the hearts of others as it is in heaven. And then keep praying until you see that happen. Amen? Moms, persevere in prayer for your kids. Don't stop praying. But make sure that Jesus is king in your heart and in your life. Because it's not just God hearing your prayers. It's your kids seeing your life lived out on a daily basis. Amen? And the first lesson... Where's my little book? I don't even know where my little book is. Anyway, the first lesson, grace to you, mom. So pick up your booklet on the way out and get God's strength to be a firekeeper. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your Son. We thank You for Your Spirit. But we thank You that You teach us to pray. Your long-suffering. I can't believe that You listen to all these crazy prayers we pray. Because we pray some crazy things. But You're a patient, long-suffering, kind God. And just when our, like our kids were young and they said crazy things... We didn't get mad at them. We chuckled. We loved them. And we prayed for their growth and their maturity. Lord, You want to see us grow in this. We need to grow in this. Give us grace to grow as fire keepers who intercede for Your glory and the good of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, be encouraged in your prayer life. I prayed differently this week because of last week's lesson. I hope you will pray differently this week because of this week's lesson.